Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Tim Rickards, Managing Director of Social and Content Strategy for Hearsay Systems. Hearsay is a social media and content management system that helps businesses market themselves better in today's social and digital age. And with that, here's my interview with Tim. Tim, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. My pleasure, Jason. So Tim Rickards of Hearsay Systems, tell us about Hearsay. Certainly. So Hearsay is, in essence, a client engagement platform. And we help agents and advisors consistently deliver what we like to call a personalized human client experience at scale. Um, and we do that in a couple of different ways. So we help people with be compliant within modern uh, communication channels. So that social media, SMS or voice. We then provide a comprehensive data capture and analysis system that helps people understand how they can keep improving as they move forward. Um, and we also have functions that allow people to trigger off events and responses. So one can post on social, one can engage in compliant texting and voice, and then we also provide cues for next, next best actions. We work with over 200,000 advisors and agents strictly in financial services. And we're really just focused on helping them grow their businesses, both individually, right, as advisors and agents, but also the firms overall. Excellent. So we'll dive into what that entire experience and journey looks like and, and how to make that happen in your business in a moment. But first, let's go and talk about the history of Hearsay. How did it come to be? A little over 10 years ago, a woman named Clara Shai realized that there was an opportunity within social media and financial services, that combination of those two things. Obviously, social media is, quote unquote, kind of wide open, wild, wild west in terms of communication. Then you have financial services companies, which are subject to all sorts of regulations and controls over their communications. A lot of good reasons behind that. So she put those two together and developed a really unique product offering. And we began as Hearsay Social, as Hearsay Social. And then over time, we've expanded into compliant texting um, and compliant voice. Okay. So let's start off by just talking about some foundational stuff. Specifically, what kind of guidance do you give to advisory firms who really are new to this space? looking to basically market themselves digitally. Where do they start? What's what's the first part of this journey? So that's a really a really good question. I think to to take the first step you kind of need to think about these financial services firms in terms of size. That's a helpful marker. So if you're a large firm, you're already in this space and have been. Um, but what's important is that what originally was I need to be in this space in a compliant fashion has gradually transitioned into not only do I need to be compliant but I need to be driving business. So the efforts and the focus of those firms um, has become far more advanced over time. And they're working very hard to maximize this channel from a revenue perspective. And there's a lot to, to dig into there, but that's kind of top level. If you're a medium or a smaller size firm and you have yet to start, I think the biggest thing when I think about it from a FinServe perspective is make sure that you start with protection. So how can I be compliant? How am I going to archive these communications, right? Get the building blocks and the infrastructure set up there first. Then, depending on the size of your field organization, right? It could be 15 people or it could be 1,500 for that matter. Then start to think about what is the true business those people are in and how can you use social media to further those business goals? If you've got those things sorted, then you can dive into these more kind of executional considerations. What kind of content are we going to have? different formats, who's going to be posting, how often do we post? But I think the most important thing is to, to have your walls built so that you're safe and secure, um, and then truly understand the business opportunity for, for your folks. And, and that could be, you could have multiple sections of that within a firm. 
um, depending on the products they sell or the maturity of, of their particular client bases. But have your direction set and then dive into the actual execution and the posting and all the fun that, that comes after that. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, why, why strategize as to what you're going to do only to basically then find out you're completely offside, right? Absolutely. So uh, if anything, sometimes just starting off with good limitations or understanding those limitations is what allows you to build uh, securely. So that makes a lot of sense. So once that's been done and that kind of, you know, that kind of content execution is, has been done, how do you enable that to work? And I would say, how do you stand out from some of the competition in this space? So I think that probably the most meaningful differentiator for us is that we're solely dedicated to financial services firms. So insurance companies, asset managers, broker dealers, RIAs. So we have an understanding of the particular needs for those groups that I think is, is extremely focused. And if I want to try to think about how we would get started or how we enable, I think the first order of business typically is we need to get your, and in this case, let's say you're a broker dealer or an advisory firm. I'll use the term advisor for lack of a lack of a more specific alternative. How do we get your advisors posting on social media? And how do we get them posting through the hearsay platform? And so we offer a combination of things that can help do that. We offer a couple of different types of campaigns that people can subscribe to, and that allows them to more or less post automatically. Um, we also then can help people build out content libraries that are organized by tags, which are in essence topics. So that's a searchable database that individual users can go to and find things they are interested in in order to post. So that's more the the posting. And then we provide a lot of training and guidance and also data on what is the response from the publishes and how are the advisors uh, following up on those responses. I think that the one thing that is typically lost in the discussion about social media is that you can be the best person who's posting in the history of posting people on the planet. But if you're not following up on the engagement you get from that, those efforts, you're essentially leaving money on the table. Um, what we do is organic social field enablement. Or it's not a brand play. We're not paying for space for these advisors. We're allowing individual people to increase the gravity of their social presence and expand their networks to help drive business. So posting is important, engagement is important, but you also have to have good hygiene, what we call social reciprocity, to follow up on those posts, to continue conversations and, and, and increase the impact you have with on that particular social media platform. Makes perfect sense. I mean, technically what you're doing is filling the top of the funnel, but then not letting it progress down the funnel, right? And Absolutely. Just wasted effort, right? So it makes perfect sense. So Okay. Content libraries, execution, implementation of all that, feedback through data. Talk to me about the text implementation. So that's definitely on the newer side in terms of what I've seen. How is that being implemented? And how is it different than what you're seeing, what's being done in the social realm? So we see compliant text as truly the next step from successful social interaction. So if you think about it in terms of like a journey, and obviously journeys are typically circular or even worse, right? They're messy, they're not linear. But in this specific case, let's say you do social posting and then you might have a direct message conversation that's general. And then you want to get real. And the younger the demographic, the more likely that quote unquote next real conversation is going to start with text. So all of a sudden that moves to someone's device, their individual device. And our texting product allows you to have those conversations in a compliant fashion. 
from there, often advisors are in essence doing business via text. And the next step could be, let's talk, let's have a phone conversation or a video conference, let's meet in person. Or for some products, it, it goes directly to here is the URL to go enroll in such and such an offer. For example, like a robo advice offer, that's something you can do online. So you could literally funnel somebody to the conversion experience via text. And this way it allows firms to enable their field to do this, which they all want to do, um, but they don't have to have to worry that they're quote unquote going rogue or things are happening that are not visible. Fair enough. Now, is any of that automated or is that all one-to-one communication? Oh, that's a really good question. So our model is focused on a one-to-one communication stream. So it's not like a chat bot. We do have, there are plans to look into those types of like accelerated functionalities. But again, it's not a customer service channel. It's not like the homepage of a website where someone's assistant, they usually have really kind of fun names. I don't know, Federico is going to talk to you about what, what do you do next, right? What size bike do you need or whatever? This is really much more. We've already made contact, Jason, you and me, and now we're going to have a private conversation about something that's related to financial services, my business, if I'm the advisor. And so we're going to have it within this secure channel. Fair enough. So interesting. So really it's, so at that point though, I mean, that's, I, I, I frankly, I can't think of any other way to go, right? I mean, a bot is just not the kind of personal interaction you want to have with one, but it does create a, unlike the social aspect, it creates a more direct requirement for the time and attention of the advisor or the person working in the marketing capacity, right? They basically have to be, for lack of a better term, you know, manning the station to to basically make sure they're there to have that communication. That's true. That's true. I think again, you know, when you think about organic social enablement, we don't see instances or cases where someone or an advisor, for example, is kind of getting spammed with requests that aren't valuable. Usually this is in response to um, a series of connections or or communications. So it's not as if I'm giving my mobile number to my web developer and putting it on my homepage. We do have a feature called lead actions that will give hints to the advisors about what to do next. So that is a layer of automation, but it isn't like a direct response text bot, which is, I thought, more what you were talking about. Yeah, fair um, but actually, I you just went to an interesting place, uh, yeah. and that's specifically on, on the kind of next best action nudging you're doing. Talk to me about the implementation of that, not just in the text realm, but in the social realm and, and, and all the other communication. Like, how are you helping basically I think, get that prospect down the funnel using next best action? Sure. So, so from a social perspective, let's say I'm a more advanced advisor and I'm doing my social activity. When I log into Hearsay, I'll have a suite of actions right within the Hearsay platform that says, oh, so-and-so comment on this post and like to this post, do you want to reply and engage? And I will. I can do that directly from within hearsay. It's very similar to Relate, the text application, where it gives me a set of tasks and reminders of things to do. So it helps me keep up with the, the individual who's connecting with me. The actual quote-unquote movement towards the funnel it really relies on the agents to walk the individual through that journey. So... Okay, we talked about the next best action piece, but let's talk a little bit further up the funnel. So I've engaged with them at least once. I've probably done some form of data capture, right? Or at least at least they they I'm on their radar. How do you continue to nurture that relationship before we get to maybe some sort of conversion point where either they're giving me their phone oh. number so I can text them or whatever it is? How do you get them to go from kind of awareness to interest and being willing to have that conversation? How do you enable that? So really in terms of the enablement, it's really just in the platform. So what we typically advise advisors to do or agents is if someone responds and they're not in your network, invite them to your network. Also, if they're not one of your existing clients, respond in a way that asks them a question. 
or shows them that you've seen their engagement. So, and again, that's just topical, right? A topic-based follow-up. And then when you receive response, if you receive response back from them, then you know that there's an opportunity to suggest, well, why don't we speak via direct message? So when I'm logging into Hearsay Platform, it's going to show me who's responding to, to my activities. And then I know that that's somebody who's, who's been responding to this. I want to connect with them. We do spend, in certain programs, we spend a lot of um, focus on this social reciprocity and encouraging people, don't be afraid to direct message somebody, if, especially if they're not a client, right? Don't be afraid to ask them in a private channel what their needs or interests are. So it's, you know, you think of the old fashioned way you might get a cold call or back in the day, you might get a walk-in into your office, right? This is something that actually has way more weight behind it than those two scenarios because they've actually seen something that you're doing and either liked or commented that shows a sign of interest. And then you can dig in from there. Oh, that's interesting. Talk to me about the level of directness that you think is appropriate or, or, or is effective in that. I mean, simply saying things like, hey, thanks for liking my, you know, what you said. I'd be happy to talk about your goals at any point or if you're interested in our services. I mean, that seems like a natural kind of soft one. What you said was almost a little bit more direct. It was basically like, hey, just flat out go and skip into that conversation. You know, am I interpreting that right? Or do you think there is a kind of sweet spot where people who are strangers who are not fully strangers, they're aware of you, where, where you can confidently go without being too intrusive? Yeah, so that's, I wish there were more exact science around that. And I think that, you know, people who are good salespeople have a, both an intuitive and educated sense of when it's time to dig in. But just from a real sort of top level perspective, if this person, let's say that, you know, this is not a customer of mine. So I'm not getting any CRM data flowed in through actions that's telling me that Jason moved or Jason had a baby or whatever, right? So let's just say it's a prospect. If someone likes something that I've posted, that's a really, I mean, that's signal, but it's kind of weak signal. So maybe I just like back, right? Yeah, it could if have someone, been a sports you know, reference or something, right? It's not necessarily absolutely. something cool what you're doing. Absolutely. It depends too. It's a good point. It depends on the, the content that they, that they responded to. If they had a comment, that's an invitation for me to comment them back. So I think you have to think about strength of the signal and then context. If I'm writing an article or I'm posting something about, make this up, but if I'm an advisor, okay, and this is something I would do if I were an advisor, mm-hmm. I would on a pretty regular basis, probably post about my kids who have 14 and a half year old twins and how I'm thinking about funding their college educations because it's personal and it's topical. If someone commented on that post, to me, that's a very hot signal. And my response, if they commented, could just be thank you. And then I could send them a direct message and say, I'm not trying, this would be my style. I'm not trying to be pushy, but if you're interested in finding out more about how I think about this or how to fund college education, I am happy. I'm happy to talk. Here's my calendar link. Let's connect. If I'm just posting about uh, my daughter's hamster, which I have done as well, which was really high engagement, almost went viral, and someone commented on that, I'm not going to talk to them about a financial topic, most likely. I will just respond to their engagement to just have good, you know, social reciprocity habits. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. So at the end of the day, it's funny. It's um, it's it's almost like I went a little too far with that question. In that, um, there's only so much technology is going to do for us. And closing a sale and knowing what resonates with people, like we can get the signals from you, right? But at the end of the day, making that connection and, and reaching out, that's still going to be a human process, right? This is this is still the enablement. The you know you're going to help you're going to help draw these people in. You're going to help wave the flags as to you know this is where you shoot. That's as far as it goes, right? We still have to carry the day on that. 
that's, I mean, it's a really important point because our view is that the technology is there to strengthen the human relationships and interactions. It's not to replace them. So I can speak from personal experience, even in a large, highly successful broker dealer, when we're doing prospect marketing or client marketing, oftentimes the fidelity of our outreach isn't as high as we would like it to be. And especially if it's consumer communications, I think that's a really important point. Business to business is a very separate category and the expectations are different. But B2C, most consumers are not interested in financial services. Um, they want the help when they need it in the moment. So it's it's actually, a, I think, a more difficult task that you have to try and be interesting and present and personal over time. And then in the moment, when the typical individual needs financial services help, they're trying to solve a problem, usually in a short amount of time. If they have a relationship with you or you've connected with them, you're more likely on their short list. And I've seen this in my personal life, my extended family and friends, people at work, like that, that pattern repeats itself. Most people aren't really interested in insurance. And a four, five no one wakes up saying right? that they want to buy insurance. Let's let's be realistic. Here, Some right? people are passionate, okay? But usually they're the salespeople. Yes, the salespeople are passionate. Yes, um, but in general, yeah, the average person does not wake up in the morning and is like, "Today's my day. I'm going to go buy me some life insurance." And, you typically, know, I, typically not. But I mean, that goes back to the the opportunity for social selling, and I think also relates to the type of content that drives engagement. What works is you you as the advisor presenting yourself as a person. Social media is personal. So it's not about the fact that your firm has this intense market research group and is posting these point of view papers. That could be useful in your social feed to you know, establish the credibility of your firm and your position. But what's going to engage is, is, Jason, what are you interested in? What's your connection to what you do at your company? Why do you like working there? What energizes you? You know, what's your viewpoint? And then the top level is just you as a person. And so you stand out as a person. And again, when, when we're in need, we look for people. And I think this the, the social selling allows us to, allows other people to find us as people so that we can help solve their problems. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people are just all too afraid to be themselves online. Um, of course. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and I say a lot of times when I get criticism or hear people criticize, oh yeah, my social media has never gotten me anything. And it's like, really, is it compelling, right? Is it honest? Is it, does it resonate? Because otherwise, if you're just sharing articles and never making a comment, right? If you're just basically doing, making generic statements out of fear of, you know, and over, out of fear of not looking professional enough, you're not going to resonate. You know, it's, um, I can't remember who posted, someone said something effective. Everybody wants the the impact of a Wendy's style Twitter account, which by the way, if people don't listen to that, it's don't follow that. It's it's the greatest. She just completely razzes and destroys people in the most amusing way. And it's, it's paid off because it's notorious as being one of the best accounts out there, but no one wants to take that kind of risk, right? They, especially true, true, especially you're a financial services professional. If you're a, an insurance agent yep. or an advisor, you have licenses and standards that you have to follow. Your firm is at risk. So I think that's, that is not a, um, an uncommon situation either where the actual agents and advisors, they're kind of afraid to use social because they quote unquote, don't want to get in trouble. And one of the, one of the key areas of our platform is that we help increase the efficiency and convenience and speed of compliance review and principal approval so that individuals can post without fear as long as they are within the system. And it varies from firm to firm. 
Um, but we have features that will will we have features that screen posts for specific language and images, so that the the company doesn't have to worry that something's going to go out that's problematic. But also the individual can become more and more confident, like you said, and be more of themselves. The other thing I'd say too is again it goes back to part of the misconceptions. I think we think about social media in general. We think about it from a brand perspective, so a broad brand channel. And these are actually just individual people. You can't be everything to everybody. So that also can be a little bit part of the the challenge with posting things that are authentic is not everyone's going to like who you are. Not everyone likes me as much as I might think so, right? But I have to be myself. And so people have to be comfortable with that as they move forward. But I got to say too, this is also the realization that you're not there to service everybody, right? You're not going to resonate with everybody. Those people, if they walked into your office, they would not connect with you and probably not hire you. So, I mean, to me, <laughs> as a counterpoint, it's you may as well be genuine because uh, that's what resonates with people who actually do like you and would work with you. And For I will sure. say this much. I, you know, I follow a number of people on Twitter who are in the industry who are absolutely hilarious. Right. It doesn't have to be, you know, you can you can be funny. You can be yourself. You can you can be out there. You can make social commentary and you can do it without being offensive. Uh, you don't have to basically, you know, no one has to go to the extent of, of razzing people like crazy, like like Wendy's account. But it's you can really, truly tell. And I've had this several times. I've had several leads come off of Twitter um, and half the time, 90 percent of what I well at the time, the majority of what I do tends to be almost like tongue in cheek jokes. Uh, and then, yes, every now and then inter- interspiced with here's a tax myth that I'm debunking on behalf of people. So, I mean, I'm not the poster child by any extent of the imagination, but at the same time, it does work if you just if you can do so in a way that is both professional, entertaining, and and respectful. I think it goes back to one of the first things we talked about, which is defining what's the purpose of of your social selling effort. So if you're um, an advisor and your goal is to grow your practice, then the way you act on social should support that goal. If your goal is to become a public speaker or a well-known author, within the financial services sector, that's a totally different thing. And if your goal is to get amass as many Twitter followers as possible, yet again, that's a completely different thing. So when we're working with firms, you know, we often have those discussions like, what are your KPIs, right? What are the key performance indicators for you to achieve these goals? And that helps us define what the goals are. And it could, there is a spectrum. It could be that the goals of the program might be let's inc- let's in- increase the number of people who are posting actively, right? That could be the base level, and then the next step might be let's have people do more original content or content that's modified to show some personality. And there could be a third level, which is let's have, help them post more original content, maybe do some different formats. So you know, there's a continuum, but it all goes back to the the singular goal, which is we're using social media to help each advisor or agent grow their business, increase the number of policies they write, their assets under management, et cetera. Yeah, I think, well, let me ask you this then. How much does actually like determining a niche enable the, or make it easier to go down this social journey? If you know who you're specifically targeting a certain segment or or, or subset of the market. So I can't tell you how much it helps because I don't have a broad set of use cases and data to support that. But I can tell you my opinion based on many years doing marketing and, and exposure to, to the dynamics of financial services and, and selling and social media. I prefer the term focus versus niche. And I'll explain why in a second. Sometimes in the B2B space, the niche can be great. Like you could, you specialized in, I'm going to make this up, distressed bonds, mm-hmm. or you specify in some kind of quantitative 
analytics, right? That's a niche. You can just drive, you can, you can work that niche and you can gain a small but very passionate following. Often in the B2B side of things, we see smaller, more focused topics get really high engagement because people in business are, are interested in those things. When I think about a broad consumer base, it's helpful to have a focus. I don't know if it goes deep down to niche, but it should be a clear enough focus that people can latch onto. And so that could be, for example, transitioning people to retirement. Right? That's a good focus because that's a very difficult decision. It could be helping younger people amass assets. Right, With insurance, you've got different product niches, right? product groupings, so you could focus in on those as well. I think if you do that, it's a huge step ahead of, of most other people because you give your audience something to focus on. It's scary for the, the advisor or agent because right, like if I'm going to say I'm here to help you transition through retirement and let's say I'm built, still building my business, I don't want to think about, wow, well, maybe somebody who's just starting out won't talk to me because I said I'm about transitioning to retirement. That's part of the trade-off. What it does do then is it gives me a chance to, from a content perspective, be way more focused on a specific area. When you think about it too, big firms, when they market, they do life stage and life cycle marketing. That in and of itself is them deciding, we're not going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about one or two topics in a specific instance. It's a similar way to do it via social. Before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody to kind of end on a positive note. The first one is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Wow. So here's my wish. I, I wish that I could see three to five years in the future and understand the types of data granularity and precision we would have in the organic social space versus what we have now. Because in the paid social space, there's a much higher level of, of fidelity and precision with regard to the performance data that we don't have yet in organic social. I liken it a little bit to the early days of digital marketing on something called the internet, where people were just beginning to look at how what happens when you post banners and can you count your clicks in your journeys. I'd like to be able to see a few years in advance and, and find out where we've come because I think there's a ton of um, space that can be filled by really smart people. And I would be excited to see that. Excellent. And the last question I have is what keeps you getting up every morning to keep on fighting the good fight and excites you about what it is you're doing? I mean, really with this is, I feel like social selling is just in its infancy. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got a, you know, we have a a large roster of, of customers and they're actively working on this problem to make this work better. It's a, it's right now it's a highly transitional phase. It's a huge growth phase. I think, and this is a marketing discipline. So that's exciting. Some days though, the unknowns are like three X the knowns and that can be frustrating, but this is, this is early days. There's a lot of um, advancement and speed and technological progress. And that part's really exciting. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time today. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, Thank you all yet again for joining for FinTech Impact. That was today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.